broadcasting from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. Well, hello, hello, everybody. It's me, Dr. Ash. I'm still alive. I'm hoping you are as well. Currently, I always start with an update. We are in our second round of closures here in California. Shit be cray. Uh, I don't know the end of this coronavirus. I like try to think about the whole thing logically and... It really doesn't make sense to me as far as exit strategy or some of the actions that are being taken in this world, but I have decided to let that go and just realize that morons will be morons and I can't always try to think about what is best for everyone and sometimes it's just best to think about what is best for you. So currently in the state of California, all bars are closed restaurants in like some 38 counties out of all of the counties in California, which is the majority of the state, uh, can only have outdoor dining. Uh, Fitness centers can only have outdoor fitness activities. So if you are in those sectors, you either have to close or have some sort of outdoor alternative. Well, for the few of you that listen to this podcast, you probably know me well. We did not shut down South Bay this time. Uh, We are open for our members only. We are not accepting new members. We are not accepting day passes. Our website says we're closed, and if anybody calls, we're fucking closed. We got reported once already by some Karen, and we handled that. Hopefully, we won't get reported anymore. It's just tough, and it's not as much of a financial decision as it is a fuck you decision. This is my business, and, like, I know I did a podcast on opening a gym. So in in L.A., there's a parking requirement. This is just an example of, like, how the government can say fuck you, but you can't say fuck you to it. So if you're to open a gym and you're looking at a space that is not in L.A. Incorporated, basically any other space in all of L.A. County, you have to have one parking space for every 100 square foot of gym you have. So say you have a 2,000 square foot gym, that is 20 dedicated off-street parking spaces that you must have assigned and divided out for your gym, which is like, that would fucking work if we were in a place that had space. But we're not. Like, Walmart barely has, like, 40 fucking spaces. So, you know, they could just say, oh, well, you, oh, you leased this building? Well, sorry, you can't have your business here or you're going to have to operate it illegally. And, like, they can just, in a, you know, you fight and you scream and maybe you got those parking spaces and maybe you had to buy, you know, other property or rent a parking lot or something for your space. And now they can just say, oh, well, we're just going to put these uh, restaurant tables in these parking spaces because they really don't matter right now because of COVID. And, oh, also you need to shut your business down. I know you worked really hard to open it and you just paid your taxes on it, but uh, no. So... I decided to say, fuck you. Well, Stephen and I did. We already decided the first time around that if this was to happen again, we weren't going to close. Hopefully I said that in my first COVID and I stuck with my guns. But other than that, there's not much news. 
it's like it feels like time has just warped because normally in your life you have uh, markers of things that you can delineate different moments in time from oh like when we went on vacation it was before or after that and blah 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 now it's like oh it's March to July and two things happened we went on lockdown we went out we went back uh, in 10 weeks, I will be competing in Montana. Uh, everything's, like, canceled like fuck here. So I signed up for a all-women's meet, and I actually got a couple other people to sign up. So fuck yeah to all you badass women. It's a women's only meet. You don't have to be fucking strong to compete. You just have to fucking do the damn thing. And I am excited to have more badass women join me on that platform because no matter what, Donnie, the gym owner, said this fucking meet is happening. I don't care if it has to be unsanctioned. We are doing it. They just had a sanctioned meet this weekend, so all is looking well in Montana. And hopefully there'll be some beautiful hiking and scenery. And I just am ready to get on the platform and have something to look forward to because I need a motherfucking goal or your girl gets annoyed and I lose motivation if I don't have an immediate goal. Some people can have the long term, I cannot. So with that being said, yesterday I started my cycle for this meet, my steroid cycle. And I did, you know, PEDs part one, and I kind of very lightly dipped my toe into some different concepts and kind of like how steroids work and some of the effects that it has on your body and some of the different things that you go through socially, emotionally, physically, just the pathomechanisms of the actual drug and how it works and why people use it. Today I'm going to dip a little more. Maybe I'm getting more bold or maybe I'm just bored or maybe the PEDs podcast was the most popular one I did out of all of them. I don't know. Combination of the three. So today I'm going to dip my whole leg up in there. Maybe we'll go waist high. That's that's about it. Um, so first, let's talk about just antibiotic steroids. Anabolic steroids. Talk, Ashley. If you have not listened to my part one, please fucking do. Just get some general base knowledge. I explain a lot of things in there, the sciencey things, and I really try to break it down because I'm going to break down a lot more sciencey things today. But having that base knowledge, I'm not going to fucking repeat myself. So go fucking listen. It's like my second or third episode. Also, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe today and please give me a five-star review because I would appreciate it. And actually, I would appreciate the review. If you like this podcast, I put a lot of time and effort into it. Uh, Please just give me, all you have to do is just tap. It's easy. I don't ask for much in this world, okay? So I want to talk about, a lot of people ask, like, how do I even begin my first cycle? Like, where do I start? It sucks because... In the world of anabolic or performance-enhancing drugs, there's not a lot of research that's like, hey, this is the best, you know, medical protocol on how to perform your cycle and take these drugs because it's not legal. There are legal ways to get prescription uh, anabolic steroids for various uh, muscle-wasting diseases or testosterone replacement therapy. But typically, a therapeutic level of anabolic steroids, meaning something that a doctor would prescribe versus a, you know, cycle for muscular development, bodybuilding, performance, or powerlifting is a fuck ton more (laughs) as far as the dosage uh, recommendations and requirements. 
what I would say, so this is just my, like, you know, Ashley's advice. Don't, it's not medical advice is find some people that you know that have done cycles. Now, a lot of people are not open about performance-enhancing drugs or anabolic steroid use, especially in certain gym cultures. It's like a no-no if you hang out with a lot of athletes that, you know, compete in tested federations, if, you know, a lot of females are very not vocal about it. But this is what I got to say. Don't, like, just look at someone and assume they do drugs or do not do drugs. If someone opens up and they're honest about their use, then I would just ask them, like, hey, what's your experience? But what their experience is and what yours is is going to be very different, but maybe they can give you some pitfalls or something to look out for or just, like, a general recommendation and, you know, gather a bunch of those general recommendations. It's like finding a lifting program. You may hop from program to program to find the best one, but you take a lot of the information along the way and you continue to learn. So I would start with collecting just anecdotal information from people you trust, not like some fucking rando that you don't even know. People that are in, you know, if you've decided to do steroids, you're at a point where you're not a novice. I really, really talk about that in my first uh series on this, I did look up and find some evidence about starting PEDs at an early age and some of the psychological effects that it does have, but I'm going to get into that later. So the second thing I would say in doing your research is there's a thing called Google Scholar. You can type it into Google and it will take you to Google Scholar. Google Scholar works in that sense of instead of like typing, you know, you type am I and then it auto populates with gonna die. Am I pregnant? Am I dumb? <laughs> like I, sometimes it's funny just to type that in and see what the popular searches are. But it looks at actual scholarly articles like .orgs, um, just journals, reviews, publications, actual factual evidence as opposed to, you know, going to broscience.org and be like, yeah, what do I need to know about my first cycle? That might be a limited search. And when you're looking up steroids, you need to not just type in steroids, you need to type in anabolic steroids because there's many types of steroids out there, but anabolic steroids are what we're talking about here, performance enhancing drugs. And Looking up the literature, and there is more and more literature nowadays as opposed to maybe 10 years ago where these things weren't studied. A lot, some studies are like volunteer groups, some studies are, you know, retrospective where it's looking back at something that had happened because of the legality of this. A lot of the studies can be done in different countries where these compounds are legal or are not as illegal as they are here. So that would be one place to start. Then you'll go to the regular Google and you'll look up some bro science stuff. As far as finding an actual cycle that will just lay it out like, oh, you're a male, you're this age, you do this, you should take this. That's kind of hard to find. That is something you're going to find as bro as it can get. Um, when I first started looking into what I should do, I found a lot of females who would post like blogs and or journals about their, you know, use and like 
you know, it's like a week by week or sometimes a day by day compilation of the side effects they were experiencing, the dosage they were doing, the strength that they were um, feeling and, you know, the growth. It's more a lot bodybuilders than powerlifters. I know there's, she's either a powerlifter or a bodybuilder. She put out a book about, I'll have to find it and post it in the bio here. And if I can't find it, if someone knows, let me know. But I know it was pretty controversial and she got a lot of shit for it, but she put a female steroid book out there. So in general speaking, uh, for females, I didn't really discuss this last time, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm going up to waist high in this one, y'all. There's three compounds that are considered, quote unquote, safer. No anabolic steroid is safe. There are androgenic side effects of any, you know, uh, AS, anabolic steroid. I could say AS from now on. And um, they are in order Primo, Anavar, and Winstrol. Primo and Anavar kind of being tied for first place. Uh, Primo is more of a high class or bodybuilding drug. It's expensive. Anavar is super, super common. A lot of people use that for their first cycle. And then Winstrol is a little bit more of a bodybuilding drug. Um, I'm not going to get into like exactly what all of them do or how they make you feel or things like that. I've done all three. I personally started with Anavar and then I did um, all three, I think, for my second cycle. And then I did just Anavar, or I'm sorry, Primo and Winstrol for my third. And then Winstrol started changing my voice. Um, it was cracking. All. I would wake up and my voice would be like this. Um do I think that there's some baritone in my voice from doing, you know, I think I've done five cycles of steroids now? Possibly. But honestly, I went into this knowing that these are potential side effects and I'm willing to take that risk. And that would be something that any female would have to assume in, you know, diving into the dark world of gear. Gear is a slang term for steroids, if you didn't know that already. Um, so I am sworn off Winstrol because for me personally, I think it created too many androgenic effects. Um, something else I've noticed from taking steroids is that I have more like leg hair, which I think is weird. Um, but that is what it is and that's not going to change now. So, uh, as far as dosing and milligrams and like all that stuff. I'm not going to get into those specifics, um, but I will say that females tend to not do any more than like 40 milligrams of Anavar um, with a starting, you know, dosage being somewhere around 2.5 or 5. Uh, a lot of times people, as they compound steroids or get into progressive cycles, need to take more to have the desired and therapeutic effects. Whether or not this is a psychological need or a physical need, it tends to happen where people will go from one to two to three compounds, not only stacking them, but also increasing the dosage, which increases the inherent risks of doing these performance-enhancing drugs. I'm not saying that they're safe. I'm also not saying if you take performance enhancing drugs, you're going to get all these negative side effects and just, you know, go into cardiac arrest. But if you want to be educated and feel like you're knowledgeable in this arena, then you need to educate yourself of both the potential side effects and that are positive and negative. And I go into that a lot into my first podcast. 
So another thing that one should do before starting their first cycle or after their first cycle is get a fucking blood panel done. If you don't feel comfortable with talking to your doctor about that, then maybe you should get a new doctor. Um, or you can tell your doctor that you're worried about your, you know, cholesterol level or liver, liver level. Sometimes in an annual physical, a doctor will order a blood test. Um, so some of the things that would be important to get in a blood test would be your cholesterol status, your inflammation markers, which are biomarkers and their C-reactive proteins. Um, sometimes that is in a basic metabolic panel. Sometimes it is not. A liver function test, a kidney function test, a full blood count, and a hormone profile for your metabolic um, hormones. So a lot of that's in a complete blood count and a complete metabolic panel, but sometimes you need to ask for that additional hormone profile. Here in the United States, you can pay for your own blood work, like say you're uninsured or you can't get it and you really want it right now, you can pay like an independent lab company like LabCorp or something like that um, to get this done. But honestly, it's pretty fucking expensive which sucks, but if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. I want to very quickly dust over the reasons why each of those markers are important to check. So first, cardiovascular disease. Steroids have been shown 100% in the evidence to increase LDL, which is considered your bad cholesterol, and it decreases HDL, which is considered your good cholesterol. And what that does is it increases your risk of hardening of the arteries in your heart. It also, steroids have been associated with elevating that inflammation marker, your C-reactive protein, which is also called CRP. So it is an inflammation marker within the whole body, but there's evidence that shows people who have cardiovascular disease have higher markers of this in their body. Liver toxicity. Most metabolism of all anabolic steroids does occur in the liver, especially when you're taking oral steroids. So if you have any pre-existing liver conditions, you are at the most risk. But Liver markers are good to see what the stress on your liver is being taxed. So a pre-blood test and a post-blood test is paramount. For kidney, seeing your kidney function is important because the main function of your kidneys is a filter for your blood. It removes excess waste. And sometimes, well, especially bodybuilders who are taking all the bro supplements in the world, including a high-protein, high-creatine, uh, diet, it just puts an additional strain on the kidney for, you know, removing and filtering those toxicities. Uh, looking at LH and FSH is important. Those are fertility hormones without getting too sciency. So it's important to see for a male, uh, your sperm generation, your sperm count, you can see those things before and compare after. There is studies that have shown that anabolic steroids can create glucose intolerance. And I have actually experienced that myself. I want to say two cycles ago, I was starting to have really high uh, blood sugar post my meal. So I was becoming a little bit 
uh, we'll say like pre-diabetic, I would say for like three hours after a meal, my glucose was still like above 150. I was testing it constantly. And then I worked pretty hard to get it back down. So testing your A1C, uh, testing your, you know, glucose, fasted glucose is important there and thyroid dysfunction. So Studies have shown that AS can suppress your thyroid function, which is responsible for like a ton of metabolic processes in your body. And that kind of hormone imbalance can cause a wide range of issues and you don't want that dysfunction. So just getting the check of those markers there. So complete blood count would be a great place to start if you know you are ready to start your first or next cycle. Determining the length of your cycle will be determined by the compounds that you're taking. Different compounds, I explained this in part one about esters and things like that, the half-life of different um, steroids. So anything you take orally is going to come in and out of your system a lot faster than anything you take that's injectable. But anything you take orally is processed first through your liver as opposed to going into your bloodstream or intramuscular injection. But the length of the cycle that you're going to do. If you're doing a compound that takes, you know, two weeks for its full effect to kick in and is in your system for two weeks before it's removed, you wouldn't want to do, you know, a six week cycle because you're not getting the therapeutic effect of the levels that you need that you're trying to achieve to get into your body. Whereas if you start taking an oral supplement, that will compound and build up much faster and it'll be more bio available for your body to use quickly. So I would say in general, uh, a female cycles typically like eight to 10 weeks. I have done the longest cycle I did was 16 weeks and I wanted to fucking die. I was, I did boss of bosses and the San Diego fit expo back to back. Um, they were six weeks apart and I didn't come off cycle in between and like just being on steroids for that long. Like I was just feeling lethargic, not good. Like I just wanted my body to go back to normal because something that steroids do is it increases your red blood cell count. So again, there with the, you know, complete blood count, um, you can feel, they call it like the steroid sludge where, um, because you're, I think it's your hematocrit hematocrit or hemoglobin, I forget. I haven't been in school in a long time. One of those severely elevates with um, AS use and it can make you just feel not good, sluggish, all of those bad things. Also combined with the other things that I was talking about, liver toxicity, elevated blood pressure, things like that. So Time on is just as important as time off. In between your cycles, the rule of thumb is at least the amount of weeks you were on as weeks you were off. Um, obviously life gets in that and in the way of that sometimes, like say you have a competition coming up that is, you know, four months away, but you want to start your cycle X amount of weeks away. So it may kind of not line up perfectly, but just a rule of thumb, making sure you have time off. Now, more chronic steroid users, bodybuilders, things of that nature, sometimes never come off steroids. And um, it's just something that is a part of the game, especially the higher the level athlete, the more risk you take as far as performance enhancing compounds if you are on that road. Now, granted, I know not everyone fucking takes drugs. That's an elite level athlete, but the majority of them do. So we're talking on that playing field. Uh, I mean, any professional bodybuilder, unless they're 
like NPC wise, there is not a professional bodybuilder that has not done, um, is not on performance enhancing drugs. I can guarantee it. So that's just risks. And again, it's committing yourself to, am I willing to take these risks before I'm willing to take these drugs? And if the answer is no, then it's not your time. It might not be your time at all. If you want to just start slow and start with one compound and assume that risk, then that is your decision and hopefully you've done your research and weighed the options done your done your bro search rather than research so speaking of research i want to address roid rage because now there's actual scientific evidence for why people get highly aggressive when on anabolic steroids so what i'm going to do is take the evidence that i read and try to explain it in the most you know, accessible lay terms as possible so that everyone can just be like, oh, I get it. So anabolic steroids all create androgenic effects. So these are the male hormone, male characteristic effects. There is a mountain of evidence that is, you know, both clinical and anecdotal that suggests that steroids often lead lead to unusually aggressive and irrational behavior. These side effects are most often observed in individuals who have consumed high doses of steroids for an extended amount of time, which is what I said before, also referred to as stacking. So one of the reasons why this happens is that anabolic steroids produce mood enhancing effects such as euphoria, you know, some people call it like the God effect. And it's just like this unparalleled feeling of nothing can fuck with me. I am just, you know, on top of the fucking world. I'm the best. I'm a beast. I'm the strongest. I could walk into the fucking gym and fuck anything up, put any weight on the bar. And I got it. I'm the strongest person in the world. It's just a a huge increase in confidence, energy, self-esteem, your motivation, your enthusiasm. All of those characteristics are 100% common in the use of anabolic steroids. But that extreme high is also accompanied with the same extreme low, that off-cycle phase where the loss of euphoria is typically replaced with a deep depression. And that psychologically crippling feeling often leads people scrambling back to do steroids even faster. But one of the reasons why this happens is because when you are on uh, AS, your For males, they take estrogen-blocking chemicals, and I explained this in part one, but basically a rise in testosterone, your body wants homeostasis, creates a rise in estrogen. Rise in estrogen in males can create a whole host of unwanted side effects, like breasts, Uh, your your nipples can start lactating as a male, acne, you know, that can lead also to mood swings, things like that. So males usually take estrogen suppressing compounds to keep their estrogen at a normal or low level while they are on testosterone. Women, however, don't need to take that. But once you remove that exogenous testosterone from your body, your body has an upswing in estrogen. And what happens then, so let's just say it's PMS of the steroid user. Um, Many women experience PMS, premenopausal syndrome, where 
I wouldn't say we get a little cray-cray because us women don't like to be called cray, but the hormonal balance or imbalance in our body creates an altered mood, whether you're depressed, sad, angry, whatever. It's a very similar feeling to that of someone coming off of performance-enhancing drugs, but it's amplified because the amount of drug in your body is amplified way above any recommended medical therapeutic dose. So therefore, that swing back, it's like a pendulum, right? It's going to swing back just as hard as you push it forward until it eventually stops. So that is why a lot of people get what's called post-meat blues. You can get this whether or not you're on steroids. As someone who's training, you do naturally, you know, increase your growth hormone, maybe your adrenaline, some of those use stress, uh, some corticosteroids, maybe some levels of testosterone, even if you're not doing performance enhancing drugs. And then you compete and then you have this catharsis and then you have that rush of serotonin and dopamine and excitement and then it's all gone. So a lot of people get it whether or not they're using drugs, but coming off of a cycle can really make your brain chemistry have a crash. This leads to increased rates of depression and suicide among people who are performance-enhancing drug users because of that low, low. Also couple that with the... So there's some evidence out there that after a while your brain chemistry is so changed that your brain changes and you no longer go back to those rat that rational person that you used to be and some of that irrationality carries forward with you which is why some people have you know greater psychological effects moving after their steroid use there's something that i haven't done a lot of research on it but it's called steroid induced psychosis that there are some people who maybe have a predisposition to some kind of mental disorder are it's now amplified to become you know more suspicious they sometimes like people who think that you know people are out to hurt them they get panicky they get anxiety things like that again that steroid use is just going to amplify those characteristics so if you are someone you know who maybe has antisocial behavior or already has um you know, some mental characteristics going on. I have a friend who once said, I don't want to do steroids because I'm already taking medicine to balance my brain chemistry. I don't want to add something that's going to change that. And I thought that that was the perfect description of a reason why someone would never want to do performance enhancing drugs. So they're taking, you know, drugs to balance that chemistry and they know that those performance enhancing drugs are going to unbalance that. Smart man. So this is some new information to me that I thought was really interesting. There was studies done in Europe, like tens and thousands, tens of thousands of athletes uh, on both the positive and the negative side effects of doing performance enhancing drugs over the course of 40 years was done, synthesized. And one of the conclusions was about amino acids. Amino acids, your brain functions on a very delicate balance of those amino acids and they pass through the blood-brain barrier and it has direct effect on your brain. But during anabolic steroid cycles, many essential amino acids that are targeted for the brain, which assist in the formation of neurotransmitters, for example, epinephrine and neuroepinephrine, serotonin and cytokine. I hope I'm saying that right, probably not, they're inhibited or the, they're blocked totally. So these are super important neurotransmitters and 
the interfering of that results in increased ammonia and urea levels in the bloodstream. So again, those biomarkers to look for when you're getting a blood test, and it is a direct result of anabolic steroid use. So usually people, bodybuilders, more um, super high protein diet, uh, which can also additional increase in those ammonia levels in the body. But what results in that protein traffic jam is your brain being not psychologically balanced by those essential amino acids that it needs. And researchers state that this is what contributes to roid rage or having that imbalanced brain chemistry, which can lead to those irrational mood swings and behaviors and things of that nature while on cycle. There's also another research report that had come out, and this was actually used in a court case at some point in time, Um, but they took elite bodybuilders and they correlated their drug use and depression and their, you know, need to be on cycle as opposed to staying off cycle as their psychological dependency for steroids has become so high that they typically don't come off of drugs because the associated down cycle is so negative, which you hear a lot of drug users say, you know, specifically heroin, that they don't want to go through the withdrawal process so that they would rather stay doing heroin. Um, A lot of steroid users take that same analogy and that they don't want to feel the negative side effects of the lethargy, the depression, you know, the loss in that, uh, that God effect. And the longer you've been on it, you know, the harder they fall. So that's just something that I found was very interesting. So now I want to address amenorrhea, which is lack of period or disruption in the female cycle or the female reproductive system while on anabolic steroids. So how this works is a female has a normal small amount of testosterone in the body, but when you artificially increase those levels, that increase in circulating androgen, because I've mentioned this before, the anabolic steroids create androgens in the body, it stops the production and release of LH and FSH. That's luteinizing hormone, and I think it's follicular stimulating hormone. Yes, if I remember correctly. But the decline in the serum levels of those two hormones will stop reproductive systems in the female body. It decreases estrogens and progesterone. Estrogen and progesterone play a huge part in the female hormonal cycle, where those levels have an inverse relationship, and when one raises, one lowers, and that's how the follicular system, that's how your eggs are released, all right? But it's a pretty delicate balance. So when the serum levels of all of those are decreased, it may inhibit normal follicle formation, your ovulation, and it will either cause an irregularity in your menstrual cycle or a lack thereof in your menstrual cycle. Typically speaking, women who come off of steroids and then your body loves homeostasis, your body will go back to a natural production of all of those. So again, pre-blood work, getting LH and FSH markers to see where your sex hormones are to see if they are affected thereafter. And then uh, thereafter, I would wait at least... A month after being on anabolic steroids before you get your blood retested. If you get your blood retested the week you come off, your shit's still going to be 
all over the place and you want an accurate picture of how your body looks, you know, post cycle to see if there's anything that you need to seriously address or that is of concern. So there's one more article that I read that was like super dense and a lot for me to take in and understand. And it's really long, but the summary of it basically is that for females ingesting exogenous hormones that change the levels of estrogen or um, estradiol or progesterone can have cognitive effects on one's ability to formulate their whole, you know, prefrontal cortex, which has your behavior, your mood, all of those things, who you are as a person is pretty much there. That if you remove those hormones by ingesting exogenous hormones, and this can also be in the form of birth control, you could possibly be inhibiting the full potential of, they're called neuroactive steroids. So again, a different steroid, but it can increase depression. It can give you a cognitive impairment. It can lead to compulsory behavior. It can lead to depression, and it can lead to irritability and mood dysfunction. So you know, uh, a 14 year old, this is actually males and females in males. Something it can also do is it can, um, seal the growth plates in your bones. So you won't have that longitudinal growth anymore, but it's basically saying that the ingestion of those things too early female, more specifically with birth control. Um, and it can also be in the form of steroids. It can inhibit your brain from, fully having its functions of its own neurosteroids and those processes can be inhibited. So, you know, if there's like a 14, 15, 16 year old, someone who hasn't fully developed and gone through puberty, I would even say, you know, in their early twenties, performance enhancing drugs and steroids can have a huge impact on your ability to develop as a person. So you want that normal balance. So that's kind of, it's not quasi science. There's a lot of literature on it, But it's more studied in the sense of, um, like, you know, a woman who is amenorrheic and then they give her those exogenous hormones to help stimulate her period. But depending on how early that could be or how early you want to put your child on birth control, it can have some of those effects. And then also I know that there's, you know, steroid use in high schools and stuff like that. Again, the development of the teenage brain is very important. So that's my talking points. What are your talking points? You guys always give me questions. In quarantine lately, the questions not have been shitty because your guys' questions are great. But the amount of questions I get has been significantly decreased. I think people are just sick of, you know, interacting with Instagram. The first question, does hormonal birth control affect PED effectiveness? I would honestly say no. Um, I think that the amount of hormonal birth control or so hormonal birth control and then there's other kinds of birth control for y'all who don't know that's not based with hormones. They have like copper ones. They have ones that go in your cervix. They have ones that go in your arm. Um, But a hormonal based is messing with like I said, that LH, that FSH, the S, the estrogen, a lot of them are progesterone. So it's increasing your amount of progesterone so that you cannot, um, whatever that is, when the sperm goes into the egg, 
fertilize um, an egg, the egg still falls and you still shed your lining, which is why you get your period when you're on birth control, but the egg cannot be fertilized. In my anecdotal opinion, I do not think that there is enough of the chemicals to affect the PEDs effectiveness. I would say that the PEDs would have a larger effect on the birth control's effectiveness, if that makes sense. Um, It's not, you know, I think Steffi Cohen a long time ago did a thing on strength and, um, you know, being on a progesterone or estrogen type Uh, birth control but I really think especially if you've been on it for a long time you're pretty solid in your adjustment to that now if it's new maybe you'll notice some increase or decrease right away but I think it would have the reverse effect as opposed to uh, the PED's effectiveness how to go about things for your first cycle things to look out for so something I didn't mention is to look out for is finding a trusted source Especially for a female, um, all of this is not regulated. So whatever's in that bottle that that person says that's in that bottle may not be what's in that bottle. It could be fucking gasoline for all you know. They do have steroid testing kits. If you have any doubt, uh, I would get it tested, Um, period. There are like underground websites that claim that it's this or that or whatever, but you don't know. You just don't know. You can't trust anybody unless maybe you're making it yourself somehow, but who even knows then, right? How do you set yourself set up yourself for success when you're getting blood work done? Scared, passing out? Well, I don't know because I don't have that problem. Just don't look. How do you know which ones to take? Well, I kind of gave a recommendation for the quote-unquote safer ones for females. I've known females that have taken straight testosterone. Would I take that fucking risk? Hell no. The mind fuck of coming off of PEDs after a competition. This is someone whom I know has been active about her steroid use. Um, Absolutely. Like I explained, that huge downswing from the upswing that you had, it's the pendulum effect. You just got to wait for it to balance out. Something that can lessen that effect is tapering off. I personally taper on and I taper off my PEDs. The reason for this is because you are ingesting those chemicals, right? You don't want to just open the floodgates and let all of those chemicals in. You want to let your body and your hormones slowly adjust. So I like to take like two weeks before I get to my full dose. And I like to do the same thing when I get off. Now, after that time that I said I was on PEDs for 16 weeks, I just fucking cut the cord cold turkey and I had the biggest emotional, you know, depression, swing, mood swings, feeling weird, feeling not like myself. And I regret it, but I wanted to get off that bad. But it really taught me that I need to be smarter in my choices and make sure that I give myself time to have that slow step off. How does tapering work? So like I said, I try to split it in two weeks. So say I am at 25 milligrams of compound A, I will do 12 and a half for a week and then, you know, half of that for a week. So I'm letting my body, I might even do it longer when I'm coming on versus coming off. Places you can go to research kind of gave you that. Um, And if you're taking a compound that you don't think is what you think it is, fucking stop immediately. Like, don't give it its due time. Um, I know a female who 
she was taking something who she ended up really thinking it's not what she thought it was, but she gave it a full week. And then she was like, all right, I'm done with this. And, you know, I commend her for that. But also it's kind of hard to, to just want to stop. You know, you get that psychological of like, I really want to do this, but also it's not, you don't, for a female, the risks can be really great of taking something that's mislabeled. Adverse side effects. So, um, in females, you know, like I said, the it's called virilization, the changing of your voice, um, body hair. You can get clitoromegaly, which is the growth of your clitoris. It happens. Google it. You can see it. And it doesn't happen to everyone. Some people get different amounts of side effects, also depending on what they're taking. As a female, if you find yourself, you know, getting those side effects, like when I noticed it with Winstrol, I probably should have just stopped taking the Winstrol and then my voice you know, it, it did go back to normal. I don't have that crackling or that, um, you know, tone to my voice anymore. But I made that decision that I was in it to win it. If you don't feel like you're in it to win it, like we've all heard those, you know, chicks who have a deeper voice and that's the choice that they've made. And that is okay. So like openness, how do you feel about open openness of performance enhancing drugs and powerlifting and bodybuilding? I would say that the higher you go in the ranks of the sport, the less taboo it is. I remember before I did performance dancing drugs, um, I thought it was a little bit different than it was. But now that I realize how many people do them in my world, you know, the world of powerlifting and bodybuilding, it's, you know, way less taboo than I ever thought it was. Kind of like smoking weed, how it used to be like super taboo and now it's not. I'm not saying it's legal like that, but... You know, like, I just have the opinion of motherfuckers are going to do what motherfuckers want to do. I don't like smoking weed. I fucking hate weed. It just does not work well with me. But if you want to get fucking high, smoke on. Are fat burner products real? So this is, I would say, like, kind of in the same topic. No. <laughs> I mean, there you could take a bunch of niacin and, like, make yourself run hot and shit like that, but... The diet industry is a multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry that just sucks people in because everybody wants answer A, gets you skinny. Take A and you lose weight. Do A and you lose weight. But really, the answer is you need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and then that equates to weight loss. It's way more than just one factor that's going to do that for you. What's it like when you first start taking them? Um, I wouldn't say that there's like a difference between the first and the next time because I kind of notice it every time. Once I get to the dose where I want to be, I feel that God effect. I feel like fucking load up the bar because I got it. I feel like aggressive in the sense of I want to attack the weight. I'm excited about my training. I'm not afraid when a PR is on the bar. I don't feel myself shying away from a heavy set. Whereas sometimes, you know, everybody gets that kind of gut feeling where, you know, they're like maybe a little bit afraid or you're just hesitant. I don't get any of that hesitation. I just want to fucking go, especially in competition. Can it be done safely? I feel, yes, it can be done safely. If you, you know, you start your first cycle, you start it small, you check your blood first, you wait, and then you check it after and you see the effects and you're responsible and you're not, you know, taking a bunch of compounds. Like I absolutely think it can be healthy and safe. I think even myself taking two compounds 
for short periods of time with time off in between, I think is safe. I just got my blood work done the other day and everything is beautiful except for my thyroid. It was a little low, which I have a genetic history of that, uh, my mom and my grandma. So not surprising, but happy with all my other markers, my blood pressure, my cholesterol, my um, glucose, all of that stuff. But the uh, propensity or the temptation to keep doing more and more and more is definitely always there. I would say much, much higher for a man because the risk associated with doing the PEDs is much lower, especially for the effects on your body as far as like virilization and changing effects and something like that. Orals versus injectables, benefits and dangers of both. Um, I touched on this a lot more in the first podcast about like the pathomechanisms of injecting versus um ingesting i i think personally for a female doing oral steroids is better because it's out of your system faster um especially if you're having a negative side effect that compound is gone faster but i really wouldn't say that one is safer than the other um there was an article i read where a clinician said that orals over everything um but I I would say, you know, you're taking the inherent risk when it comes to either or as far as the side effects go. And the last question someone asked, uh, thoughts on Clen. So Clenbuterol is not a performance enhancing drug. It's actually, I think it's a asthma, ster- it's an asthma, it's, a, it's some kind of steroid. It's not a... Um, uh, AS, it's a different kind of steroid, but it helps like increase the capacity of your lungs. Um, it's used as like a weight loss supplement in the bodybuilding world. I think clenbuterol has its place, um, not just to take it, to take it, but if you are dieting and exercising, taking it before a cardio session can prove increased cardiovascular benefits. Um, but I also think taking supplements like that is risky. Anytime you're, you know, messing with your pulmonary and cardiovascular systems, it, it's a risk. And, you know, you see people who get fucked up in the bodybuilding world all the time from kind of taking those risky things or taking T3 and stuff like that, you know, taking, messing with your own metabolic, uh, hormones. So I think, used reasonably if you are doing the other things that go with the need for using clenbuterol like diet and exercise it can be an effective tool um but also again making sure you're buying shit that's real i don't know if that there's tests for that or not but that is all y'all steroids part duh i hope that you guys are all are safe and thank you for listening Rate my shit, subscribe to my shit, keep listening to the VPP. Bye!